Greetings and welcome to Smart Loving Conversations, the place where we discuss all things Catholic marriage. I'm Francine Parola. And I'm Laura Kane from Smart Loving, a global network that accompanies couples as we together explore how to maximise the good times and learn from the bad ones. With our guests, we explore love, marriage, family and living the Catholic faith, setting our sights on heaven while keeping our feet on the ground or in the mud and muck that life throws our way. We've been there and so have our guests. Join us for better and for worse as we dive deep into real life conversations of struggle and triumph. Welcome friends and listeners of Radio Maria Australia. Our smart loving conversation today is about verbal communication. Um, This is a smart loving communication tool. We're going to be exploring and breaking open some of the research and handy tips and lots of other goodies for you today. We're so pleased you're here, friends. And so to get us started, I just wanted to ask, Fran, how has your walk with the Lord been these past days? Look, I have to confess, I've been a little bit off kilter. It's been a lot of busyness, a lot of disruption and change of routine. And I'm finding that I actually really need the stability of a routine to get my prayer life and my prayer discipline stabilised. I'm not real good at you know, reconfiguring my normal prayer times on the fly. So I'm feeling a little bit disconnected, but looking forward to having a little bit of a holiday coming up soon where I hopefully will be able to just get a bit more time with the Lord. Yeah. Well, for my own self, um, I had a really beautiful experience this week because it was the Feast of the Assumption of Our Lady and where she was taken up to heaven, body and soul, and we celebrate that. And in Australia, it is a holy day of obligation. And I almost forgot that day that I had to go to Mass. And so luckily my neighbour mentioned something. So we quickly got to Mass in the evening and it was just so joyful to be present with others on a non-Sunday <laughs> and, you know, it was a cold evening and just to see the church full of young families and, and the kids and I just was really spiritually boosted by it. So I had a really beautiful, yeah, um, feast day. So it was good. Mm, nice, <laughs> nice. Yeah, it's it's kind of uh, good. I know there was confusion in our parishes too. Is this one a holy day or was this one of the ones that was sort of relegated to uh, optional but uh, anyway, it's a holiday and we had some really good mass turnout. So it was good. We ha- we actually had a parish dinner down at the local pub afterwards. It was our parish priest's ordination anniversary a few days earlier. So that was really nice to have that time oh. with the parish community. Yeah, that is lovely. The lovely mm. thing to do. So shall we dive into our topic? Absolutely. Let's Commun- do it. Communication. So most young couples, Laura, as you'd be aware, think they're great at communication. But then we get couples in therapy and they'll say communication is the most common problem or the thing that really brings them unstuck. And I'm left sort of saying, hey, what? Generally, we're talking about the same couples, but just at different stages of their relationship. It's not like they're two separate groups of couples. So what's going on there? How can you be so awesome at communication when you're engaged and dating and in those early years of marriage and then become so terrible at it (laughs) down the track? Yeah. (laughs) And and I I mean, if you've seen that happen with the in the couples Abs- that you know. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. <laughs> so I reckon there's a couple of things going on. Firstly, I think it's really easy and it's more common mistake with young people is to mistake quantity for quality. So they'll an engaged couple will sometimes say to me, oh yeah, our communication is great. We talk all the time. And I think 
what they're saying there is we do a lot of talking, but they don't necessarily realise that just transmitting information is not the same as deep communication. The second thing that comes up that plays into this factor is that, you know, young couples got the benefit of limerence. And, you know, we, we unpacked that a little bit in one of our previous sessions, Laura, around this whole idea of when we fall in love, it's scientifically called limerence. The love hormones, if you like, or the neurotransmitters, they predispose us to positive engagement. So we listen and share to each other because we're so hungry to get to know each other. And there's a, there's a natural level of trust there. And so we've already got kind of like a really good preconditions that just dispose us to positive experiences in verbal communication. But there's also very little or no history of hurt and disappointment from the other person. So the emotional injuries, I think, is what really fails up our communication as we get further into marriage, because we can often be on the defensive. If we haven't addressed those hurts and wounds, uh, we're naturally going to be self-protective and a little bit defensive. It can colour the way that we view what the other person says and does. So in some ways, that that's a predisposition in the opposite direction. It's a disposition towards being suspicious or distrusting the other. And that really fails up our communication. Mm. Does that resonate with you, Laura? It resonates a lot, Fran. It's really interesting, the the science and the limerence and the hormones. I, My husband and I, Joe, we met and fell in love on a Kentucky tour. So we were both on holidays at the time for 14 days and we could talk as long as we wanted on a long bus journey in between the destinations. So after that, we then long distance dated because Joe uh, was born in the USA. And so for 11 months during that limerent stage, we spent hours on the phone talking about anything and everything. So Joe would answer my calls at 6am due to the time difference, me being in Sydney and him being in Baltimore at the time. So, and it's just so funny as you were running through the (laughs) <laughs> that that explanation, Fran, now we've been married almost a decade. We definitely do not spend hours on the phone when we're apart for work reasons or for work travel. <laughs> it's more like Same. quick quick phone call and back to, you know, the tending of the house or Joe catching up on his work. So yeah, it's that's been our experience for sure. Mm. And it was so easy when when we'd first met and dating and that limerence was really we were on fire with the with those hormones and just could chat and chat and chat it was definitely quantity whether it was quality I'm not sure yeah 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 and look and I guess there's legitimate reasons like you don't need to reshare the data about each other's history because you already know that and that was certainly your your experience mirrors ours is that our early dating years even though we knew each other and our families were from the same parish so we we knew of each other for you know a decade before we started dating there was still a lot of personal history that we just we're catching up on. And so there's lots to talk about, but the question is, were we sharing really deeply? Mm-hmm. And I guess that's what we really want to go to next is looking at the different levels of communication. There's a little bit of, there's different theories around how many there are. Some say there are seven, some say five. We just kind of go with five. It's a little bit simpler. So we'll unpack those. The, f- the first level or the most superficial level is, is cliche. So that's the kind of conversation we have in polite like conversation when you meet someone for the first time or a work colleague. Uh, so, Laura, you could give us an example. That would be, cliche would be comments on the weather. How are you? Good. Just simple, superficial, yep. cliche yep. conversations. In theory, how are you could be, how are you really? Um, that's obviously going to a deeper level, but most of the time, how are you is just, we're not really actually asking how they are. We're just making conversation. 
yep. and breaking the ice. So that's cliche. The second level is um, facts or data. And these are pretty easy to share because they're quite objective and they reveal little about ourselves. So Laura got an example. We're out of milk, we're out of eggs, there's a package been delivered for you, the neighbour called in, and when you when the neighbour rang the doorbell, the dog went crazy, just, you know, factual. That the dog always does. <laughs> yes, factual data, information sharing, facts. Yep. And don't, as couples, we have a lot of that in our lives, that the, particularly if we're working separately from each other during the day, um, which is certainly the case in our situation. You, you, you know, Joe work and you both work from home most of the time, but you know, sometimes Joe's on a business trip. There's just this catch-up of information that we have to transmit to each other around the shared life of running a household together. I mean, you add kids into that mix, it just multiplies as well. It's not just the household, it's what the stage is and, you know, where kids are up to and sport and school and whatever else. So that's facts and data. Level two. Level three uh, is opinions of thoughts. And so that's going a little bit deeper. That's our interpretation or understanding of the meaning of some situation or, or fact. So it's revealing a little bit more of ourselves. So if you want to pick up your example or give a bit more. Yeah, for sure. It could be something like, oh, I think the neighbour might be a bit frustrated with the dog barking every time our doorbell rings. Or another one. I think mum's idea for Christmas is really good. What do you think? Right, yep. So it's now getting into the principle of thinking. So it's I think the neighbours or I think mum's idea or I think whatever. Um, It's a little bit more. There's a bit, you're putting yourself on the line a little bit, particularly if you venture into sensitive topics or political topics, taboo topics and things like that. That's kind of revealing a little bit more of ourselves, but it's not going too deep. It's kind of keeping at a fairly safe level. The fourth level is emotions, and our emotions are really unique and personal. That reveals our inner life. So we're talking about things like our feelings, our dreams, our hopes, fears, our wounds, our emotional injuries, and our failings. And so we're starting to talk, firstly, very uh, uniquely, but also exposing ourselves a little bit. There's a, there's a lot more vulnerability once we get to emotions than there is when we're talking about opinions and thoughts. So Laura, got an example? Yes. Yeah, so look, I'm feeling really embarrassed about the dog barking every time the doorbell rings and I'm feeling a bit alone in dealing with it and training mm. the dog. Mm. So it's um, that principle of feeling rather than thinking. And if I could pick up the Christmas kind of idea, because yes. actually that's quite relevant to me, um, you know, I'm looking forward to Christmas and I'm excited about seeing the family. So I'm starting to express it's not just mum's idea is good for Christmas, but I'm excited. Why am I? Why do I think it's a good idea? It's because of the feeling content or the emotional content behind that. So that's the fourth level, and then the fifth level, and getting deeper all the time, uh, we call needs or spiritual desires. It's much more difficult to identify these because we're not always immediately aware of what our needs or our spiritual desires are. So it's kind of helpful to, when we talk about and and teach couples communication, we really do these levels four and five, emotions and needs, together because our emotions are in some ways a bit of a symptom of our needs either being met or frustrated. So if I've got a need for something and it's being met, I will experience positive or pleasant feelings. So if I have a need for some companionship and somebody rings me up and has a conversation or I chat with the neighbour, I will experience positive and pleasant feelings because a need is being met. If a need is being frustrated and there's no conversation with the neighbour, there's no 
chatting, I'm going to get to the end of the day and feel sort of a little bit frustrated or depleted because that need is still unresolved and unfulfilled. So the emotions and needs are really good. It's a good indication whenever we become aware of an emotion, there's usually a need or a spiritual desire beneath it. So Laura, if you wanted to pick up your example around the dog, because that was quite relevant. Your dog was barking earlier. (laughs) She was. So, you know, a need could be, I really need you to work with me to help get the dog trained so she doesn't, she's not so reactive every time the doorbell rings. It's really stressing me out. Right. So you've got the emotions of stress and so on, but also going back, you're feeling alone, not just embarrassed about the dog, but also feeling alone and trying to deal with it and respond to it. Mm. Um, and so the need is to have some responsiveness and and teamwork and joint companionship and resolving it. To pick up my example around Christmas, I could think about, you know, mum and dad are getting older and I'm realising they don't have much time left when we can have that really peer conversation. So I really need some quality time with them to make the most of every opportunity. So that sense of, you know, I'm looking forward to Christmas. I'm excited about seeing the family. Why am I excited about that? Because it's going to meet this need to have that quality time with mum and dad. So that's the five levels of communication. I guess what we really need to think about is that in the goal in marriage for our communication can be a little bit different whether we're talking about in a secular sense or in a Catholic marriage. So in a secular sense, we hear language such as connection. Um, Mm. You know, we want to feel connected to the other person. And that sort of resonates pretty strongly with me and probably does with you, Laura. But I think in Catholic marriage, we're actually aiming for something a little bit different. And I would use the word communion for that. And the reason Mm. why I do is that when you look at the roots of the word communion, it's got the same roots as communication, community, or common. And so it's something that happens between people. Whereas if we look at the language or the idea of connection, that's got roots more in technology or mechanical. It's about the connection between things. So we'll talk about, you know, I plugged the power and I connected the power or we made a connection on the Wi-Fi. So it's got that technological, mechanical kind of thing. And it probably explains why it's come into our language Uh, contemporary language in terms of talking about our human relationships. We talk about, I had a really good connection with this person. Mm. It's not wrong, but it's, I think it's just describing something a little bit different. When we talk about communion, we're really implying a union of two persons in their whole personhood, not just an exchange of ideas, not just an exchange of, you know, a sense of common values or common perspective. We're really thinking of hey, we have a sense of deep understanding of the interior life of the other person. And that is what I think we're called to in marriage. And that's Mm -hmm. what safeguards our marriage from decay really is going from the superficial levels of conversation where we can have a great connection talking about things and other people and things outside of our relationship and outside of of, uh, who we, our deepest needs, to sharing and revealing ourselves um, exposing ourselves in vulnerability to each other and trust. So it is going to those deeper needs of levels four and five. Yeah. Um, and that's really vital for marital health. Does that make sense? That, Does... that just really spoke to me, what you said there, Fran, communion mm. versus connection. connection. Yeah. Mm. Yeah, it's sort I of l- a different, 
it's a diff slightly different focus. As I said, it's not wrong to talk about making a connection, but I think there's, there's a nuanced or something deeper, something more substantive in terms of holy matrimony, to use a kind of a very kind of old-fashioned religious term. There's a sense of, you know, this whole person, communion with a person, that, that it's, um, you know, Byron as, as a man, body and soul, that I'm seeking to know and to be united with, um, and you and Joe together. Mm. Um, and so the question is, you know, we're really talking about, you know, that superficial, that transfer of information and opinion that happens at levels, you know, one, two and three versus communicating for intimacy where we're really aiming to go deeper in vulnerability that's happening at levels four and five, so emotions and needs. How often would you say <laughs> you communicate at these deeper levels of what helps and what hinders? We, we actually are pretty good and would do it most days and that is only because of our training through the Smart Loving Engaged course that we did, especially the sharing of the strongest emotion. So that really helps us. Um, what was your strongest emotion of the day? It cuts to the heart of what's going on in, in the interior and it avoids wasting time with drivel. <laughs> mm -hmm. It gets cuts to the heart of it. I think what can what helps us as well is going on a walk and holding hands that physical touch when we're communicating and eye contact well not when you're walking but if you're sitting down holding hands and looking at one another putting the phones down that really helps us to have communion connect and have communion yeah yeah that's good I mean I have to confess that we go up and down in terms of our level of communication. It really comes back to how busy and distracted we are in our life. And when we've got a little bit more of a leisurely balanced pace, our communication at those levels, the deep levels, naturally picks up. There's a few more things to say about this, but should we go to a break, do you think? Yes, let's take a quick break now. We'll be breaking this down further when we get back after this song. You're listening to Smart Loving Conversations on Radio Maria Australia. You're listening to Smart Loving Conversations on Radio Maria Australia. We've been talking about communication and now we want to go a little bit deeper on the topic and also explore how couples can engage in communication at those deeper or higher levels, um, the levels of four and five at emotions and needs. Laura, just going back to what you were talking about just before we took a break around how often as a couple we talk intimately and I was saying that we don't always do it so well. I did want to just point out that it's really hard to jump from a cold start into those deeper levels of intimacy in a conversation. We sometimes need to warm up the space a little bit with a little bit of casual banter. And while it might seem a little bit superficial, it's a little bit like foreplay. It's just softening the atmosphere, sort of forming a bit more of a connection so that we can feel a little bit that the trust levels can just be re-established. And then it's a lot, often a little bit easier to open up a uh, a more intimate conversation. Yes. Um, so that can be, you know, it's not to say that we should avoid speaking at some of those more superficial levels. They're a really important role in our lives as well. But we just want to make sure that we're, as a couple, we're getting down to those deeper levels on a regular basis. So how do we do that um, is the big question. And it's really important to remember that in any conversation or any communication, there's two roles. There's a speaker and a listener role. Mm. Um, and the job of each one is to make it easier for the other. So the job of the speaker is to make it easier for the other to listen. And the job of the listener is to make it easier for the speaker to share intimately and more deeply. So if we take each one of those roles and we'll just unpack them a little bit and talk in more detail about it. Thinking firstly of the speaker, 
three simple things that a speaker can do to make it easier for the listener to listen. And the first one is timing. Pick a time. If you've got a, if you've got an important um, conversation to have, so I'm not just talking about the quick data dump at the end of the day, that just kind of happens spontaneously. But if you've got an important conversation to have, pick a time where the, the listener can be able to give you his full, full attention. This is one thing that I have been really bad on in our marriage. I would launch a conversation, important conversation in the morning while Byron was trying to get out the door to get to work. His mind's already on the job. He's distracted. It would be so frustrating to him. And then I would get hurt and wounded because he would be literally like walking towards the door and I would be pursuing him down the hall, trying to get the last of the conversation in. So timing um, is really important to just get that. You know, think in terms of, is this going to be, is can he or can she give me their attention right now? Um, if not, pick another time. And if they're really busy, book a time. <laughs> you know, get it in their yeah. calendar and say, hey, I need to talk to you about something important. Let's get it in the calendar. The second thing is to alert them. So differentiate. I know this, again, this is something Byron's given me feedback on, that if I just start onto that topic without telling him that this is something I'm it's important that I need his full engagement. He just assumes that it's just some trivial topic and I'm filling the space with a bit of chatter. And so indicating to him and alerting him that I've got something important to say is another really important thing. And finally, the third tip is to use I sentencing. Where we're the speaker, it really helps to bring a bit of discipline into what we say and use I sentences so that I'm focusing on sharing my emotions and feelings. Um, so, you know, I feel or I felt um, I'm thinking about my needs and my emotions rather than um, slipping into judgments, particularly if I start going into you sentences, you mm -hmm. said, you did, you always, you never. Mm -hmm. That's usually expressions of judgments and accusations, and that will immediately put Byron on the defensive. So that discipline of speaking about my interior life is important. And then secondly, also, I guess just to just to not stop with, hey, I feel, I feel angry. What does that mean? Uh, how angry? You know, are you just mildly irritated or are you, you're furious? Give me some indication of the intensity. Give me a bit more information about what sort of impact this is. So sort of pack it out a little bit so that it's not just, you know, a one-sentence answer or one-sentence explanation. It's got some sort of a bit of meat that helps – uh, reveal a bit about the nature of the emotional experience. Laura, thoughts or tips? <laughs> yeah, I I think I just have some thoughts for the speaker as well. What I found really helpful is to reflect before speaking. And again, writing it down is really helpful. So, you know, listing your feelings and then how am I feeling? Am I one one time I described that I felt like a sunflower trying to get to the sun, and Joe stomped on me. <laughs> so, um, you know that the um, that's a powerful image, isn't it? It Just, was a powerful we image. All, we can all see the sun, the sunflower kind of turning towards the sun, and uh, yeah, nice. And and that helped Joe to understand how um, hurt I was in that moment and to, to really tune in as a listener to, to how he could, we could reconcile and make it better. <laughs> so yeah, th as well, the, what I'm referring to there is actually the life tool the L I F E tool. And I, we learned that from smart loving from our engage course. And if you are married and you'd like to learn that tool, it's actually also in the marriage enrichment 
online course called the Marriage Kit. So it's just a really good structure that Joe and I have found for really have, having the speaker be able to share how they're feeling and communicate it effectively and efficiently to the listener. Mm. Mm. Yeah, because it's not always easy on the fly to just give a full embellishment of your interior experience. So you're right, taking a bit of time to think about what do I want to say? What are my feelings? Because they're not always obvious. There can be layers of feelings. Sometimes a superficial feeling might be covering something more tender and intimate. So being able to step back, particularly when it relates to a hurt between us and reflect on what am I really feeling? What's really going on? What are my needs that are being um, you're frustrated here? And then we can bring that to the conversation with, a, with, I guess, a more measured kind of delivery without kind of being all aroused and on the attack. Yeah. Um, and and I guess in that example, if I hadn't have used that, you know, that word story, I feel like, a, <laughs> you know, sunflower yeah. trying to get to the sun and you stomped on me. If I hadn't used that framework, I would have been saying things that could have made Joe very defensive, like, you're bossy and you're overpowering me with the way you're communicating, right? Well, how's he going to respond to that? But if he hears his beloved wife say that she felt mm. like a sunflower trying to get to the sun and he stomped on her, he's coming with, oh my goodness, I don't want, I don't want to ever make you feel like that. How can mm. we work mm. it out? So it's a much better way using I feel than, as you said, Fran, <laughs> you are or you always yes. or you never. Yeah, 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 yeah. It doesn't mean you can't use the word you ever in your sentences there, but it's the emphasis, I suppose, and the focus is about I'm revealing myself, not trying to apportion blame or or Late. focus on you or, yeah. or, div- or, or you know, second guess what your intentions might be. It's really about this is the experience, this is how I'm encountering this situation. And that way we can, it keeps it based in what I know, which is what my interior experience is. Everything else that I'm assuming and making judgments about Byron is really actually speculation. It's not, I don't, I don't really have undeniable evidence for that. I'm just making a judgment based on my observations, which could well be off. So that's the speaker thinking about the second role of the listener. And in some ways I think being a listener is, is actually more difficult. The listener has, again, three tips. The first one is to unclutter. So that's really about giving full attention to the speaker, paying attention to our body language, putting things out of our hands, especially a phone um, or a remote control if you're in front of the television, turning the television off, using not just not just giving them attention, but using our body to communicate, I'm giving you my full attention. The second tip is to understand. So when we're listening to somebody speak at these deep levels, we're really listening for the meaning and perhaps kind of going a little bit just to pass the the direct or the plain meaning of the words, but looking um, for the meaning beneath them or the sometimes the innuendo. And then asking questions of clarification if we're not sure, we, we think we might be misinterpreting it, putting out the invitation to go deeper. So I really like to be able to say to Byron uh, on both of these, you know, so what I'm hearing you saying is this, is that correct? Mm-hmm. Um, and if I've got it right, then, okay, is there anything else you'd like me to know? Because often, you know, when we're communicating on it's, it's really sensitive, tender topic, we'll sort of put our toe in the water 
And we're just testing to see, is the listener really ready to hear this? Because if they're not, we'll pull back and we'll sense mm-hmm. of what we were going to say. But if we sense that the listener actually is really receptive, we'll keep going. And so the job of the listener is to obviously be receptive, but then to really communicate and encourage the speaker to, to trust and step into that space where they can be fully honest. Um, so it's unclutter is the first tip for the listener, understand is the second one, and the third one is unite. So to then make sure that as a listener, I'm validating Byron's experience, paraphrasing, describing it back to him so that he knows that I've heard and I've understood. And that's a classic kind of technique that's used in counselling, but it's really, really good for all our human relationships. So Laura, break that open a bit more for us. How would you rate yourself as a listener? I put myself very very poor as a listener. I'm still in training, trying to get the discipline right. How, how are you going? Well, yeah, I, it's the harder thing to do, isn't it? So I, I'd be harsh on myself as well. I'm not a great listener. I'm trying to grow, <laughs> grow in that area. It doesn't help that I'm deaf in one ear, <laughs> but I, I've got a moderate hearing loss in one ear. But no, that doesn't that doesn't affect me usually. I think body language, as you said, Fran, is really important. Eye contact sometimes. I'll get annoyed if Joe's looking down at his dinner when I'm talking. And so I like, for me, eye contact is important and vice versa. I I sometimes don't look at Joe when he's talking. And as I said before, if we're on the couch, if if we're holding a hand, like, you know, if it's a, if it's a tough conversation. Contact, there could yeah. be some tactile communication going on. Mm. Absolutely. So if it's our thighs, you know, if I'm, if I'm cross-legged on the couch and it's my knee on his knee or or I'm holding his hand or that's really powerful too. And putting down the phone, sometimes Joe will, I'll be on the phone and halfway through writing a message and he'll come in and just start speaking. And then he'll say, you know, you're not listening. So if I just throw away, throw down the phone and you've got my full attention now, that's, Oh gosh, those phones, aren't they? Such a barrier for effective communication. So and they're actually a communication device, right? So, <laughs> right. <laughs> but they're actually an anti-communication in some cases. And so I guess just to just push that a little bit further. So the, the speaker and the listener, to sum them up, there's the two roles. The job of the speaker is to share clearly and efficiently and with vulnerability, and it requires preparation. So some reflection is really important, focusing on the I sentences. So it's really an I-focused task. I'm focused on exploring my emotions and needs and sharing those with Byron. The listener is job is to understand and validate the experience of the speaker. So it's it's a you-focused thing. And you'll notice that the three tips that we gave to unclutter, to understand and unite, all start with the letter U. So it's a play on the word you, Y-O-U, and the letter U to help us remember that as a listener, I'm not so much thinking about myself, but I'm thinking about you and helping you be really honest with me. And we can't, because one's I focus and the other's you focus, we say you can't be a speaker and a listener at the same time. Mm. So this is where the intentionality and the discipline around good communication comes in, is that we need to be consciously about you're the speaker and I'm the listener and I'm going to stay in my listener role. It's really tempting if something the speaker says that it's triggering us or arousing us is we want to jump in and take over and it's the speaker role. So we need to kind of, uh, I guess, have that discipline that says you're the speaker, I'm the listener, let me complete this task and then when you're satisfied that I've understood you, then it'll be my turn to speak and you need to listen. And so that kind of discipline um, is a really good thing to develop in marriage. Laura, do you have any thoughts that you'd wanted to 
to add on to that. I think you gave me a really good tip, Fran, that you and Byron had great conversations and listening when you're walking. And mm. now that we've got a dog as well, you have to walk the dog each day. So that shoulder to shoulder walking without the distractions of the phones, it has been easier for me to listen. Mm-hmm. And sometimes I think uh, men, particularly some of the research suggests that eye contact for men can be a little more intimidating than it is for women. For women, we love that kind of real look into my eyes. That's very intimate and powerful. But for men, that can sometimes feel a little bit intimidating. So again, with the kids, we always found driving in the car was a good time to have a conversation. We're both looking forward out the front window, but they would often feel a little safer in that environment to open up and and share things. Yeah, that's so interesting, Fran. Let's take a quick break now. We'll play a song and we'll see you after the break to get practical with some take-home for our listeners. Hello and welcome. You're listening to Smart Loving Conversations on Radio Maria Australia. We've today been talking about communication and now it's time to get practical. We all love the theory, but how do we take these ideas and, and apply them to our daily lives and our relationships? So our practical take-home today is one of our Smart Loving tools. We call it the Daily Strongest Emotion. And it's really pretty simple. It's just each day taking a few minutes to reflect on the question, what was my strongest emotion today? And then taking turns to share your answers using some of the tips that we described around sharing and being the speaker and the listener. So focusing on emotions and just reflecting for a few minutes before we speak and then the other person listening to understand and then swapping over. Sometimes this only takes a couple of minutes, um, but it's a really good discipline uh, because one of the things that it does is a, it just forces us to reflect a bit on the day. So sometimes, you know, we can be busy, busy, busy. We get to the end of day and we really haven't reflected on the day and the important kind of lessons and incidences of the day. And secondly, as couples in a busy household and busy lives, is we don't have the time to talk about everything, but if we can talk about the thing that was the most significant emotional experience for us, well, then we're actually connecting on the most important thing. And so if this is all we did, if this was the only intimate conversation we had, we'd actually be doing pretty well. We're sort of getting the, you know, probably the, you know, the top, the top topic to talk about. Mm. And so when we talk about the strongest emotion, it's really, it's not just the one that was most powerful it might just be something that was significant so it might be an emotion that we don't feel very often so you know we might have seen someone or met someone and we felt jealousy and maybe that's not something that we usually feel in a day so that's significant the fact that it's rare not so much that it was a really strong emotion um and other times it would just be yeah it was a stronger emotion my boss criticized me and I got really upset really upset so that's a an intense emotion as opposed to just a rare emotion so it's it's really talking at looking at what was the most significant emotional encounter during the day Laura what's your experience with this tool Look, it's just a great way to check in with each other and it helps for, we, we're atypical, I think that Joe tends to be, he likes to not overshare, but like share everything that happened in his day, whereas usually it's the female that tends to do that. Mm-hmm. So um, it's a way for both of us not to overshare if there's only a limited amount of time for us as a couple to connect. It cuts to mm-hmm. the heart of, as you said, the most important mm-hmm. emotional check-in with each other to retain that communion and that understanding of where we're at emotionally, spiritually. So yeah, it's a real disciplined way to be effective. In, in, mm. in That's con- good because most of us think about, I mean, in our case, I think about, oh, we don't have enough time 
or opportunity to talk with each other. But it's interesting that you're looking at, well, we've got time to talk to each other, but it's about how do we keep it focused and going to the deep levels as opposed to being distracted by chatter. So that's the tool each day. Just to recap, take a few minutes to reflect and then share on the question, what was my strongest or most significant emotion today? And just take turns to share it. And sometimes it'll open up a, a long and deeper conversation and that's great, but it doesn't have to. So I think the important thing with any of the tools that we offer couples is that when they, they can be done in a efficient amount of time. So I would say this is maybe three to five minutes typically for us. But if it tapped into something really significant, we've kind of got that opening and that invitation is there and that uh, opportunity to then maybe spend a bit more time unpacking it with each other. So it's a, it's a really good one as a daily essential communication or connection ritual. The other thing that we haven't talked about, but I would just like to touch on really quickly, is just how this plays in our faith life and the role of prayer. And I think you know, God really wants us to grow in intimacy as a couple. He wants our communion. Um, so we can pray for the desire to know and love more deeply and to trust and to help for God to help us and guide us in our communication. Also, that the needs that he has placed in our hearts, they're profoundly significant and holy. And the idea of those needs is to point us to God. But if we're not reflecting on our emotions and the needs that are driving them, often those needs can sort of they're not dormant. They're there sort of in our subconscious informing our our behaviour, but we're not really bringing them into our conscious awareness where we can direct them towards the appropriate fulfilment. And finally, the other thing is, is that some of these tools, you can take them into our, we take them into our prayer life. God wants us to talk to him with the same frankness and honesty that, you know, a really honest conversation that we would have with our spouse and so to be thinking in terms of how can I take these skills just imagine if I was using a daily strongest emotion and talking to God hey today God you know this was my strongest emotion and this is what was really going on for me that's the foundation of building a really deep intimacy with the Lord so to kind of just think about taking these skills into that space is a really good thing too I think it's really interesting as you're saying that Fran I'm just thinking of my experience of prayer with Joe when we first were engaged and dating Joe would come to the family rosary with us on Sundays and you know now we'll say rosary together but when you were talking about using that daily strongest emotion and talking to Mm -hmm. God when you when you're focusing on the mystery and so maybe it's the the visitation and it's one of the mysteries it's the visitation of Mary visiting her cousin Elizabeth and you can say Lord who do we need to visit today as a couple Mm. who um who visited us that brought us joy and so that Mm. way if you are not great at the kind of free talking to God and you need that kind of structured prayer you can use a structured prayer like the rosary but intertwine it with your own um, experiences of the Holy Family or or Jesus to um, to bring it back to your own experiences as a couple. So that's mm. something I've, I love doing that. And you know, I'll use a rosary card and follow that, and then read the the mystery, but also then give an example of um, how it relates to us in in our life at the moment. I like that. That's a way of making it real. It makes saying the rosary a more relational thing, not just relational with the Lord, but relational with the people that we're sharing the prayer. That's great. Yes. We're going to take a quick break before we do the Smart Loving Q&A. We'll be back soon. Hi there, friends. This is Radio Maria Australia, and it's time for Smart Loving Q&A. We get questions every day from the wives, husbands, and couples from around the world who are doing our programs or courses. And so, Laura, what have you got for us today? 
Well, there was a question from a recent Smart Loving Q&A webinar, and it was from an engaged couple, and they asked for any reminders of things people forgot about during their time of marriage prep. So when you're busy preparing for the wedding, what do you need to not forget or to remember before that, um, before you get married? So I guess one of the things that when Joe and I are a sponsor couple to an engaged couple, we make sure that they are aware of fertility awareness methods and so that they understand their fertile times and fertility education. So it's really important for the woman to start charting her cycle because it's a lot harder to learn and understand when you're married because there's some if you're making if you're married and you're making love it can be a bit confusing determining your fertile signs so yeah fertility education friend was there anything else yeah that you and you're right had? Laura it does take a few like you kind of really want a couple of months to just get confident in that fertility awareness methods and starting that sooner rather than later is really good. Look, and some couples sort of think, oh, well, we'll worry about it afterwards, but it's actually, yeah, it's much better to do it beforehand because, again, it's one of those things that really brings you closer together and learning about how God has designed our bodies and as to be so complementary. And it's it's really a beautiful opportunity to deepen the intimacy and faith as a couple is learning about your fertility and how it works. I guess the other thing that comes to mind is firstly just getting started is the preparate the formal preparation as soon as possible. A lot of couples, you know, it's engagement can be a really busy time and they're thinking about all the things they've got to do to book venues and plan a reception and so on. And they're thinking in their head that, oh, I just have to do this course. We can do that later. But it's not just a course. It's it's about a formation experience that's training you in a lifestyle. And the tools and things that you will learn in a smart, loving, engage actually helps you plan and execute all those other things much better and more efficiently. So getting started on your marriage prep as a first priority, particularly the nature, the structure of our course is that it runs over several months. So you're doing a little bit each week rather than doing it as an intensive in a single day or two days, which is it's better to do it the way that we run it, I think, so that you can take the skills, start applying, start using them in your everyday life so that you're consolidating them and then you've got them for life. So it's not just about ticking a box and getting that certificate to say you did a course. It's really about training and setting yourselves up for success in marriage by consolidating those skills. The other thing I think often gets overlooked is just the spiritual preparation. Like there's so much focus on the festivities of the celebration of the wedding that often what is forgotten is that you're making a lifetime commitment and it's a vocational call that the Lord is calling you to. So just to be aware of and attuned to the spiritual preparation, I think could be really, really helpful. I know when we were looking back to our engagement time, we got sort of sucked into that trap of the event. We only had six months and we had some really good formation from our, the priest who was marrying us. He was very good. But nobody ever suggested to us, for example, that we should go to reconciliation, the sacrament of reconciliation before the wedding. And I really regret that we we weren't reminded that, hey, you're making a really important commitment. It's a sacrament just like, you know, with our other sacraments for the first time, we should be preparing spiritually and going to reconciliation. Nobody ever suggested that to us. So I think that's an important thing of just so you can approach your wedding day knowing that, you know, you're fully spiritually ready to make the commitment. Yeah, and to receive that grace from the sacrament, the fullness of it from having a 
a good good confession beforehand. Mm, absolutely. And we don't we often don't we either go one or two ways with the sacraments, right? We kind of think, oh yeah, it's just sort of like some magic pixie dust that we get the sacrament and all of a sudden we've got the grace or we just think it doesn't make any difference and both are wrong I mean we need to be in order to receive the grace of the sacrament we need to be in a place where we're open and receptive to it and so that importance of, of the sacrament of confession and the sacrament of reconciliation is that it it helps us to prepare our heart to receive and get the maximum benefit from the graces that are offered through the sacraments and so we need we, we need to kind of attend to both of you know those things really importantly yeah they're really good tips thanks Fran. Mm. If you've got a question for us, you can contact us via the Radio Maria website or visit www.smartloving.org forward slash conversations. Yeah, you can just fill out the form there, listeners. We'd love to get your questions. Just before we sign off, we'd like to give you um, share a blessing with you. So for me, a blessing for me this week has been the Word on Fire Institute. I took out a subscription about a year ago and I'm finally getting around to doing the first course and I'm doing the one on the Protestant Reformation, which is presented by Bishop Barron. And it's really quite interesting. I've been impressed with how gracious he is towards some of the main players, so Martin Luther and Calvin um, is the two sort of figures that he's focusing on. And I think he's actually being very fair to their criticisms of the the Catholic Church at that time. And so I've just, uh, you know, appreciated his very measured and and academic analysis of the situation in that, that time in history. But also I was just so grateful to him just thinking about how he has engaged, Bishop Robert Barron has engaged with the wider community in, in an intellectual fashion. I think there was this kind of assumption that if you were a believer, you were just intellectually disadvantaged somehow, you know, like only dumb people believed in God and only dumb people followed the teachings of the Catholic Church. And I think what Bishop Barron has done is he's made a really good attempt at resetting that assumption by giving strong intellectual defences of what the church teaches and believes. Yeah. Well, this this blessed you as a bit of a um, Bishop Robert Barron fan <laughs> fan club because <laughs> my bless you for the week was a rosary podcast by Bishop Barron on Spotify. So I've just found it. I was looking for an audio version of the rosary that I could just listen to, you know, while I was while I was lying in bed and I found this one by Bishop Barron. It's beautiful. So I really recommend our listeners um, to check that out. Mm, oh, that's great. And you were going to say while you're falling asleep, but you were worried that the, the listeners would judge you. <laughs> yeah. It, but do, I, it does sometimes put me to sleep, but how beautiful to to go to sleep to the beautiful um, yeah. timber of Bishop Barron's voice and also by meditating on the mysteries of the rosary. <laughs> Absolutely. I, I remember a friend of mine saying we used to have a, a women's prayer group and we had to have this meditation and I would often fall asleep in it and I'd be so embarrassed. And um, they would say, yeah, but that's like, I think it was the little flower to um, Therese of Lisseur used to just talk about the trust that a child has falling asleep in his mother's arms and just kind of mm. think about, okay, in prayer, we're just running into our father's arms and mm. we're feeling so safe there that we can just fall asleep in his arms. So three cheers to praying and sleeping simultaneously. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, good fun. Well, that brings us to the end of our time together. You can find more information, including links to our blessings, show notes and more at smartloving.org forward slash conversations. That's www.smartloving.org forward slash conversations. 
We're Francine Parola and Laura Kane from Smart Loving, thanking you, our listeners, for your attention. We pray that you will be blessed in your walk with the Lord today and we lift you up in all your intentions to our patron saints, Our Lady Andrew of Knots, pray for us, and St John Paul II, pray for us. This is Radio Maria Australia. Goodbye. Goodbye.